All right, Jordan. I mean, uh, <laughs> we are going to have a guest that you and I can definitely relate to as far as uh, some of the resume. Kevin Wong is going to join us. Uh, he is in the broadcasting industry. Uh, he has uh, participated at a level that you and I can only dream of. Uh, he has announced at Olympic Games a multitude of times. He is scheduled to do so again for the beach volleyball event. Former multiple-time national champ volleyball player at UCLA. Hawaii guy out of Punahou School. Uh, went on to great things in beach volleyball on the AVP tour. Even competed in the 2000 Sydney Olympics in beach volleyball. Uh, and also runs a Spike and Serve Club, a volleyball organization here in the islands, continuing to just grow and expand, and they're doing wonderful, wonderful things there. So Kevin Wong's going to join us. But I think the thing that we will most relate to, obviously, is in 2002, he was named to People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People. So um, I think definitely you and I will have some common ground to tread alongside uh, Kevin Wong here today. Yeah, I'm actually waiting to hear back for the 2021 edition. So that, I think they're supposed to get back to me next week. Yeah. Let you know how that goes. Yeah, I have like 50 most beautiful podcasters, like non-visual uh, podcasters. That's the, the, that would be the one I'm, I, the looks for radio, as they say. That would be the one that we'd be uh, perhaps a little bit more in line for. All right, let's get to our uh, pregame. We got a little bit of breaking news here earlier today. The Tampa Bay Lightning repeated as Stanley Cup champs and I saw some stat it was like the fifth straight postseason series going back to last year where they clinched the series by virtue of a shutout victory so the Tampa Bay Lightning repeated as Stanley Cup champs and uh, full disclosure here I know this is a sports podcast probably shouldn't admit this stuff too often for some of the hardcore hockey fans out there that may be listening but I didn't watch a second of it I did I usually get into the Stanley Cup finals a little bit or the NHL playoffs a little bit but I gotta admit man it just didn't it just didn't hook me this year uh, if you asked me to name two players on the Tampa Bay Lightning I don't think I'd be able to I knew that it hadn't drawn me in when I opted over the weekend to instead uh, watch the Star Wars marathon on TNT it's like, that's when you know, like, oh, all right, either uh, game two of the Stanley Cup finals or the Phantom Menace for the 11th time. Like, I, I, that's when you know that the, the NHL playoffs have not hooked you in. And that was, that is my full disclosure admission right here to start off the podcast. What about you? Are you a Tampa Bay Lightning stan? I will say, I don't think anybody that has stuck with us this long on the podcast <laughs> is listening for our hard-hitting hockey coverage. <laughs> Like they may be hockey fans, but that's they probably go elsewhere to get their hockey fix, right? They're pro I don't think they're they're tuning in time after time on our podcast and just hoping that one one of these episodes we'd we'd get a little hockey coverage. Uh, so this this will have to do. Um, I watched two minutes of today's game. That that was it. I, I follow you know a, a little bit. The Blackhawks haven't been as good as they have been the last couple of years, and so I, I kind of tune out a little bit. You had the great storyline. The Canadians made the finals. First time a Canadian team in a long, long time. Uh, but, yeah, just, just you know, it's good for Tampa. They got the Bucks. The Rays were in the World Series last year. The Lightning go back-to-back. -back. It's a good time to, I guess, call that part of the country home. Oh, the Canadians made it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's a, that's a cool storyline. Nice. Thanks for uh, <laughs> filling me in on that. Anyway, all right, so that was kind of the de facto. We had to mention it because it's the biggest sports story probably today. 
Uh, but maybe a more fitting pregame topic because of the fact that we have Kevin Wong, who's going to be heading to Tokyo uh, to cover the beach volleyball event uh, for NBC's coverage of the Olympics, is the Olympic sports story that has kind of served as very controversial here over the last week and a half. And that is the female sprinter Shikari Richardson, who was a favorite going into these games uh, representing the United States, but tested positive for marijuana, which, of course, uh, we're seeing the restrictions on marijuana loosening more and more across the United States, but it is still considered an illegal substance by virtue of the U.S. Uh, Olympic team and U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. And so she is going to be denied an opportunity to race for gold. Uh, there was a question as to whether or not she'd be able to participate in the 4x100 relay, which is actually taking place outside of the month-long suspension that she has to serve because of the positive marijuana test. But as it turns out, the decision was made that she's just not going to go to Tokyo at all. And you have a lot of other athletes in the realm of professional and amateur sports up in arms saying that this is wrong, that Richardson should be given an opportunity to race because of the fact that it's a stupid rule. The stigma attached to marijuana is becoming less and less significant. Uh, we are seeing states legalize it. We're probably not very far away from a federal legalization. Uh, so where do you stand on this? Uh, because it is the rule. It is currently the rule. I think we're all in agreement, though, that it's probably at this point a pretty lame rule. Yeah, it's really tough, right? And, and credit to Richardson, she she kind of owned up to it, right? And 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 she said that you know she she more or less understands. And it's so tough because, you, you, right? The trials were held in Eugene, Oregon, uh, a state where it has been legal for a while, <laughs> right? <laughs> One of the first states to to go ahead and 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 uh, legalize marijuana and and. You know, just today, Nevada said they're not even going to test fighters, right? Boxers, martial artists for, for marijuana anymore. I mean, they're, they're another state that's legalized it. And it continues to gain momentum in the United States. And, and, and then you get into the discussion, right? I mean, this, they're, they're qualifying for an Olympics in Tokyo, Japan, a country which actually has some pretty strict drug laws, including marijuana. And so it's a, it's a messy situation where you're talking about a, a qualification in a country that has a little more lax, where you're talking about international competition and and marijuana is viewed much differently in different parts of the globe and how you, how you go ahead and test. It's just, it's just one of those things, right? It's like, I don't, I don't think it was a performance enhancer, right? right? And that's, that's where it's anti-doping in terms of performance enhancing. Like this had nothing to do with that. It's just unfortunate. I, I agree with you on the rule. Kudos to, to Richardson for, for kind of just owning it and, and, you know, for, for a situation where, right, this is, we're going to hear from Kevin in a little bit, just lifelong dreams and things like that. And I just, I just feel really bad for her. Yeah, like if this was the Nathan's hot dog eating contest and one of the competitors tested positive for marijuana, I feel like that could maybe be considered as a performance enhancer there. I mean, we've all, well, I don't know if we've all, but some of us have been there where, uh, you know, maybe you'd be a little bit more competitive of an eater if you were under the influence of such a substance. Uh, but yeah, I think when it comes to sprinting on a track, uh, I don't know if um, <laughs> if the effects of marijuana is something that uh, is actually going to give you an advantage. That said, it is a rule. It's just unfortunate that it still is a rule. And I think oftentimes what prompts change when it comes to perception on certain things and stigma attached to certain things is something like this happening, unfortunately, right? It requires oftentimes controversy. It requires a debate and conversation such as this to prompt change and a, and a paradigm shift as it pertains to something along the lines of 
marijuana as an illegal substance. So uh, hopefully we see that change and hopefully we don't see another story quite like uh, Shikari Richardson in the future. All right, so once again, we got Kevin Wong joining us uh, in just a little bit here on this episode of the podcast. A good dude. I know you've worked with him a bunch of times, uh, Jordan. Uh, he is kind of uh, volleyball royalty uh, around these parts, and uh, so we're excited about uh, getting it on with him a little bit later on in the show. But it is time for our game time. And unlike the Stanley Cup Finals, I did watch Game 1 of the NBA Finals. It's Bucks and Suns. Phoenix took Game 1, 118-105. It was all Suns in that one. Chris Paul went for 32 points and 9 assists in his first ever NBA Finals game. Devin Booker went for 27. DeAndre Ayton was lights out. 22 points, 19 boards. He was 8 of 10 shooting. Putting up like Luau Cinder with Milwaukee numbers in his first Finals appearance. Uh, And then interestingly, on the other side for Milwaukee, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who a few games back in the conference finals, his knee bent backwards like an ostrich, like alien-like. And I was thinking, this guy is going to be out not just the rest of the postseason, but maybe all of next season. Like, that's what I thought when I saw that hyperextension of his knee in the last series. The dude is a freak of nature, and nothing proves it more than the fact that Giannis played in game one on that knee and looked pretty darn good. He played 35 minutes, 20 points. 17 boards so the Suns still did their thing but Giannis was involved and participating and said that he felt pretty good on that knee where do you give the advantage here at this point because if the Bucks can take game two in Phoenix all of a sudden they steal home court uh so where where's sort of your perception of of this NBA finals series in its very early stages yeah, I still like the Suns a lot in this series, even with a healthy Giannis. The, the Sarge injury is kind of interesting, right, because the Suns get a lot thinner on the front line. Uh, I think Milwaukee, you know, they were uncharacteristic defensively, right? They're, they're one of the best teams in terms of defensive efficiency that goes when it comes to allowing free throws and, and stopping fast break points. And the, the Suns kind of, you know, tilted the scales in a lot of ways by by getting out in the open court, which isn't really their MO, right? I mean, a Chris Paul team is going to play in the half court, and that's sort of what they've been good at in terms of their offensive effectiveness. And, and they went to the free throw line a lot, which Milwaukee doesn't necessarily allow to happen all that much. And so, you know, I, I thought Milwaukee, all, all things considered, there's they're a team that, that characteristically isn't going to do that repeatedly. And if they don't, I think this can be a very tight series. But yeah, it's really interesting, right? Chris Paul's so banged up at this point. He had the, the, the wrist tape going again. Apparently, he's got, like, torn ligaments in his hand, his shoulder. He had COVID, like, a week ago. It's kind of amazing that he went out and dropped over 30 after not even scoring in the first quarter. The guy is absolutely timeless. I just think they have a little bit more. I think they have a little bit more here. And I got to admit, we were talking about the Stanley Cup Finals. I got to work myself up. Like, I am not inherently just – diving head into this series. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's Milwaukee. I don't, I don't know. It's Giannis and Devin Booker and Chris Pollock. I should be more excited for this. But uh, maybe maybe once the Bucks win a game here, uh, I think I'll, I'll be able to, to dive headlong. Yeah, I think I finally bought into the, the idea of, okay, we got a little new blood in there, right? This will be a, a first-time championship for either Giannis or Chris Paul. Um, you know, obviously the young contingent of Phoenix Suns players, especially Devin Booker, who's kind of like developing into this, this new uh, version of Kobe Bryant, I think, in the NBA with his shot-making skills. I think, I think it's intriguing. 
Uh, I agree with you. I think it can be a very exciting series if the Bucks can take game two. That'll set a certain tone. Uh, we'll see how Giannis is able to recover. You will have the two days off between games two and three when they flip the series back over to Milwaukee. We haven't seen that kind of schedule previously in this NBA postseason. They've been kind of hurrying through a little bit at a faster pace. And so uh, I think that that can have a positive impact, uh, certainly for a team like Milwaukee that's nursing some of those very important injuries. The thing that bugs me the most, right? The thing that, that makes me almost lose faith in humanity is the fact that, you know, that Sons in Four guy that went viral because he got into a fight in the stands earlier in the postseason. Uh, he got into a fight with a couple of Denver Nuggets fans. He went viral and has become like this de facto mascot for the Suns. He has become this celebrity, so much so that he is starting to hold autograph sessions. The Suns and Four guy. I don't even know his name. Does he sign it? Suns and Four guy? Like, I don't even know his first or last name. And adding fuel to that fire or insult to that injury, uh, the fact that the guys he got into a fight in the stands with, and hey, look, I don't fault him necessarily for the fight because I think those guys actually jumped him, but they were wearing, or at least one of them was wearing a Jamal Murray jersey. And just this week, Sons and Four guy had an appearance where he was taking pictures with Jamal Murray, and they posted it on social media. And I just don't know what's happening in 2021 when it comes to humanity, when the Sons and Four guy is like a thing because he got videoed getting into a fight in the stands. Sorry, I just needed to get on my soapbox for that aspect of the NBA Finals. Can we get rid of them if they lose a game? Then it can't be at four, right? Does he have to go away? That might. That I don't might, know. That does, might solve the problem. Does he transition into like Suns and Five guy? Like is Suns that, and I don't Seven know. guy. <laughs> or if they lose the series, Suns in twenty twenty two. All right, let's uh, move on. We got a little college sports to talk about uh, because things are shifting. I mean, this is a revolution in college athletics as we know it. It is the NIL era. The name, image, and likeness era has begun officially in college sports. Uh, so now, a little bit of background here. You have several states that pass laws related to name, image, and likeness, uh, certain limitations, certain requirements. Uh, you don't have that in all the states. There is no federal law at this point. The NCAA basically just washed their hands of it and said, all right, world and all college institutions, you figure it out, you deal with, very much in the same way the NCAA dealt with COVID last year. That's kind of become their, their de facto stance here. Uh, but what's interesting is now the schools have the authority and responsibility to set the guidelines here for this thing. And so, you know, the guidelines will include things like what kinds of companies and businesses can be endorsed by student athletes, um, you know, what kind of check and balance system they want to apply. Uh, and so there's a lot of that that still has to be felt out. Uh, but this is a seismic shift. How do you see this, though, changing college sports? There are a lot of people that are hitting the panic button saying that this is going to be the wild, wild west. They might be right. It will change the dynamic in many ways. Uh, but how do you see this change bearing out? Yeah, that, that implies the wild west is a bad thing, right? I mean, it, it is. I think it really is the wild, wild west right now because nobody knows exactly how this is going to go. I don't think that's all that bad, right? I mean, it, college sports as it is is a little freewheeling right just look at college basketball and the the rate of transfer right and and now the some of the new transfer rules and allowing you to play immediately and and things like that so it has gotten a little chaotic and so you know it's not a bad thing these kids can make money now they can they can make 
a profit off of stuff that was making schools profit, right? Their name, image, and likeness was making schools profit, whether you go back to the, the EA Sports video games, whether you go back to bookstores selling number 15 jerseys or something like that, right? It's like everybody knows who wears number 15, right? It might not have his name on it, but everybody knows, right? And so other people were making money off of these kids for, for the very same or, or via basically the very same route. And so I don't, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I'm very curious to see how laissez-faire it is, right? How much are schools willing to let their athletes go out and be entrepreneurial? Or how much are they going to try and rein these kids in and control the parameters as to how they can go about making money, right? Because we've seen some kids who are ready to roll, right? Including guys like Mackenzie Milton, guys like Dylan Gabriel, former Midlani quarterbacks now playing over there in Florida. Mackenzie Milton now at Florida State, right? He, he's starting companies. Dylan Gabriel's got like NFTs out there. We're seeing kids start podcasts that are sponsored by bars, uh, a couple of Nebraska football players, bar stools, signing kids to a whole roster. Like it is kind of chaotic. Don't get me wrong. And so I'm really curious to see which schools just let their kids loose, which schools try to rein this in a little bit, which schools sort of angle best because, you know, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know. It's just, hey, let, let these kids go out there and do what they do. Or is it an athletic program? We talked to Jenna Gabriel, right? The Texas setter, Marino grad talking about, you know, their athletic department kind of helping educate them a little bit on, on the social media aspect on how to build your brand, mm -hmm. right? And things of that nature. And so is it, is it going to be schools doing that a little bit more? Or is it going to be a little more free for all? Um, what will the student athlete want right will the student athlete want to go someplace where they can just have free reign will they want to go someplace that it does a little more handheld in terms of how they build these things it's it's fascinating to me I, I don't know I you would imagine the power five conferences that have all the money have the resources that can do this are just going to be the ones that execute the best but that doesn't mean that a school now a smart athletic department you know a school at the caliber of the university of Hawaii or some of these mid-majors that could maybe carve a little niche out and be like hey we, we've, we've got some smart marketing people. We've got some folks that can really help you take off a little bit more than getting lost in the shuffle at, say, a USC where you're just another number or something like that. Come be the big fish in a small pond as opposed to a medium-sized fish in a big pond at another school, right? It, it, I really don't know how it's going to play out, but I, I can see a bunch of different possibilities. Yeah, so there are already rules in place limiting what uh, recruits can accept, right? It, it has to be a student athlete that is already part of that program. Uh, so that's still something that's going to have to be policed, which, you know, hasn't necessarily been the most uh, successful aspect of college athletics. So I don't think much is going to change there. Uh, but I do see and envision there being situations where, I mean, what's to stop a booster from just telling a kid, hey, look, uh, if you sign with Texas, I got a $500,000 envelope for you. All you got to do is show up at my car dealership and wave your hand a couple of times and, and shake a few people's hands and uh, it's yours. And so I think there will be that wild, wild west aspect to this. But this is what change brings about. And if it is chaotic and if it is a mess, as a lot of people are predicting it to be, the NCAA has to bear a lot of that responsibility. It's not like they didn't see this coming. And it wasn't until really the week that this rule was enacted that the NCAA was like, all right, now you guys figure it out. Kicking the can down the street as they have on this issue. Uh, I think that this is going to come back to bite them because what authority does the NCAA right now have with regard to any of this? It is now going to be incumbent on the schools, the institutions to try to figure it out. Um, we've already seen 
a couple of pretty uh, name brand college basketball players make a decision to return to college. Scotty Pippen Jr., you had Johnny Juzang with UCLA making the decision to withdraw their names from the NBA draft to return back to college. And I think that becomes a more viable option for them because they have a chance to make money outside of their stipend checks. And so we're already seeing perhaps a benefit for college basketball as a whole because you're going to have some of these big names that are going to return. What I find interesting is how is the dynamic between what the schools are chasing after in terms of advertising and corporate revenue, how is that going to coincide with the student athletes themselves individually getting opportunities to do the same. It's almost as if you're going to have a situation potentially of the institutions and the student athletes of those institutions competing uh, or, or companies that are going to be making the choice as to whether or not to put their dollars behind and their support behind the institution or programs as a whole, or these student athletes who may have high profiles on social media or something like that. Brand building is going to be a big part of this and a big part of that decision-making process. And so that dynamic is something that I find interesting, and I'm not exactly sure how that's going to play out. And I do think that there is a reason for some of these institutions the University of Hawaii included, to make sure they keep that in mind. Because there's only so many, especially a place like Hawaii, there's only so many advertising dollars to go around. So just something to think about. Uh, But at the same time, hey, look, man, everybody's making money around these student athletes, around this labor force. And so if they get a chance to make some of that coin, uh, more power to them. All right, so with that, we're going to get to uh, our main topic here uh, of the show, and it is Kevin Wong, of course, a former Olympic beach volleyball player, now an announcer with NBC. Uh, Just an all-around good dude. Uh, Looking forward to, once again, hearing him on the broadcasts of Tokyo Olympics and the beach volleyball events. So uh, with that, let's go to our interview with Kevin Wong. All right, so this is a thrill because I finally get to welcome somebody to the podcast that I can really relate to because this person was at one time a People Magazine's top 50 uh, best looking, well, what is it? It's the top 50 sexiest men alive. Is that, is that what the, is that what the, the category is or, or that particular edition of People Magazine is? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. What are you, t- are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> we're, we're, we're turning it back a little bit, but yeah, we have Kevin Wong yeah. uh, on with us and um, yeah, Kevin who just kind of is a Renaissance man of sorts. Uh, first off, obviously, he has built an incredible career in volleyball, uh, formerly as a player, and obviously with Spike and Serve, and a club that just continues to expand and continues to take steps into the future here, and, and also a guy who's about to embark on yet another opportunity to serve as a commentator in the Olympics for NBC's coverage of the uh, beach volleyball event. So uh, first off, Kevin, welcome to the podcast. We appreciate you uh, being here, and uh, a lot going on in your life these days. Yeah, lots of stuff going on, man. But I, I could just listen to you open shows uh, all night long. It, it's crazy. Uh, you get going on a roll. Uh, appreciate <laughs> your talent. I appreciate it. I got to work with Jordan a lot. Um, yeah, it's some, some of my favorite people in the world. And uh, I, I'm excited. I have a little bit of a pause here in Hawaii before uh, uh, I'm off to Tokyo and uh, doing the beach volleyball broadcast from Shiokaze Beach. Oh my goodness. What, what goes into, I, just, just kind of surface level for some of the people that are listening. When you're doing an Olympic event 
and it is a lot of repetition and particularly when there are so many teams there's a lot of studying that goes into this like, just give us a sense on on what your preparation is like here as you gear up for something like this yeah i uh if if i ever lost my hard drive i have a, a little hard drive <laughs> uh and it's got like literally 10 or 11 years of notes on every team on coaches and stuff if i ever lost that thing i would cry myself to sleep and then i would choose not to do uh, the olympics uh my uh first producer uh at nbc uh once described it like this he said uh broadcasts are open book tests and you better be prepared uh you gotta prepare for a hundred percent of the things and even though you know you're gonna maybe use ten percent so uh, yeah, I, my notes are, are my, my strength for sure. Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. It is. It's like a dissertation. It's like you're preparing for uh, a trial uh, in court or something like that. I mean, it, it really does require that. And you're right. You don't necessarily get to all of that preparation, uh, but it's there just in case. Uh, so this isn't going to be your first time. You've been doing this a multitude of times. What have those experiences been like? Uh, to sort of be there. I mean, you were there as a player uh, in Sydney, uh, per participating in the Olympic Games then. Uh, what has it been like now as an announcer a multitude of times? Uh, I'll tell you my first on-air hit, my first on-cam, right? And so, like, there's makeup and there's production assistants and there's, like, camera people and there's, like, 20 people on set. And literally, uh, so so my Kanoa Leahy, who's Chris Marlowe, right? He, <laughs> he, he does, like, a full you know, 60 second open, right? Like we are here in London, ready for the 2012 Olympic, like just goes off, right? And it's just poetry emotion. And then I have literally, all I have to say is like, Kevin Wong, former player, you know, we have some of the, like I seriously, just something like that. It took me 12 tries to slog through my stuff. And, and you could just see people's smiles melting because the first couple, they're like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, I see it. And then after a while, it's like, this guy's terrible. How in the world do we end up with? And then by the end, my guy's getting a little twitchy because he's done the same open for 12 times. And, you know, like, yeah. So that pretty humble beginnings, Kano. And uh, slowly you set the bar low and then it's just real easy to just step right over. Yeah, we've all been there, right, Jordan? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm still there. <laughs> I, I, I worked. I worked with Kevin this past spring, and I'm sure he probably felt the the opposite. Uh, <laughs> how many times we gotta re-record some of these things? Uh, the the cool thing with beach volleyball that I, I've always found, Kevin, is I mean, it it really is one of sort of the premier sports at the Olympics, and it is treated as such by NBC and the and the TV powers that be behind it, and so. It is always sort of put in pretty opportune locations. It is given primetime spots. Uh, what have you seen in sort of the development since you started doing this, right, for the last couple of decades and how that has grown? Yeah, Carrie and Misty, right? They put us on the map. And mm -hmm. by winning, you know, NBC, they want bankable stars. They want people they can feature and promote and highlight. And then, you know, like Colton Cowell at the NCAA championships, they're going to deliver. So, uh, you know, the uh, – that, that's been really fun. There's five events pr produced that are going to happen in Tokyo. Uh, it, it's diving, it's gymnastics, it's swimming, track and field, and beach volleyball. Everyone else is taking a world feed like the X cast and is uh, 
doing their productions out of Stamford, Connecticut at the NBC offices, out of Sky Broadcasting in London. It, it, it's, it, it's literally, you, you know, the question before Kanoa said was, the Olympics is turning into X-casts. It really is. And, and I'll tell you, like Spectrum and what we do locally here uh, with high school and college sports, like that has been the best preparation for me for the Olympics by far. we got tons of reps, high production level, and uh, it's not a, not that far of a jump. Yeah, I mean, doing a, a, a JV boys volleyball <laughs> game in the middle of uh, the <laughs> afternoon on a, on a Tuesday, uh, who, who knew that was going to get you ready for the Olympics, right, Kev? Uh, what it... What are your thoughts going to Tokyo? I mean, it's it's a little dicey in terms of everything that's going on with the pandemic. We're already a year delayed. Um, Japan seems to be a little further behind the United States just in terms of vaccination rate. And, and, and you hear some of the calls from, from folks on that side of the, the ocean and, and whether or not they actually want to hold this thing there. I mean, just all that's going into that, what, what's kind of going through your mind here a couple of weeks out? Yeah, for, for me, what's most fascinating about that is the mental mind games that's going to play with the athletes, right? <laughs> like it, it, there's already the craziest pressure at the Olympics and then you postpone it a year and then you say like, maybe it's going to happen, maybe not. And then there's a pandemic and everyone's bottled up. Like you're, you're going to see like amazing theater and reality TV uh, on the high, the grandest stage. And, and as broadcasters, you know, we know sports is the, the best reality TV there out there. It, it's, unscripted there are some events where uh, perhaps the athletes because there's such a calibration process to be primed for the olympic games and the timing of that is so sensitive uh how do you perceive the volleyball athletes the beach volleyball athletes being impacted by that year delay or is it because there's a little bit more of a year roundedness to the schedule do you think that they're a, 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 a category of athlete that maybe is less impacted by that? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think just beach volleyball players in general tend to be creative and tend to be a little bit more outdoorsy and a little bit more resilient uh, than our indoor people, right? It's just it, the people who are, are like that are driven to the beach where you pretty much get to hire your own coach, right? Uh, I think that one of the, the big storylines as well, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how people deal with it, uh, is the heat factor. Mm. Like it, it, people who have been to Japan uh, quite a bit, and I haven't, they all tell me like, this is the worst time to go to Japan. It is going to be like 100 degree plus, it's going to be 100% uh, humidity. Uh, and so that calibration is really interesting because um, I think how athletes prepare for that, and it's happening like right now, is going to really be telling on on how their bodies are prepared for uh, some some hot hot games. Well, uh, we know that you have that very valuable hard drive, and we know you're going to be uh, delving into that here over the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, give us a sense as far as just you know what storylines right now uh, you're excited about. Something something you can share with us about what we might be able to look forward through as we live vicariously through you at the Tokyo Games. Yeah. Uh, so the men's side's really int intriguing because there are a couple of Norwegian guys and you would never think uh, that Norway would be the, the powerhouse, but one of them is Hendrik Mole's brother, right? A Anders Mole. Uh, and what's special about that country is about 12 years ago, they opened the top volley school and it's in sand Norway and it's literally Hogwarts for volleyball players <laughs> in Norway. 
And since then, they've won all the junior championships. They've got these 23 and 26-year-olds who are winning 60% of the events they're, they're entering, which is unprecedented. Uh, and, and the question for them is that they've done it all in all the normal events, but the Olympics is not a normal event. And there's like a greater pressure. They took a bronze in the world championships, which is our closest uh, equivalent. And can they get over that last hurdle in the, in the biggest tournament of their lives? So that's the men's side. On the women's side, the number one and two seeds are two North American teams. It's uh, the Canadians, which is Pavin and Humana Paredes. Uh, they, uh, on paper, are like amazing, right? Big, tall blocker, graceful, fast defender in the back. Uh, and they've kind of romped through. They're the world champions. They've been really good, but this year – there's some drama this year. There's more anxiety. There's more pressure. They're the number one seed. And Sarah Pavin, who is the six, five lefty, like unicorn. She hasn't always been great with pressure in, in, in her life. And so we're going to see, we're going to see if, is that going to bring them together? I think it's going to do this. And, and which opens uh, the door wide for uh, the A team from the U S which is Alex Kleiman, April Ross, and uh, they finished second at the world championships. They're number two in the seating and they're the opposite. They're gritty, blue collar, that, you know, like you, you want to see uh, people who rise to the occasion, it's them. And so uh, I think that those are the two storylines on the, on the men's and the women's. You mentioned the pressure and, and we referenced the fact that you played in the 2000 Sydney Olympics. And um, so you can speak to this firsthand. What is that pressure like? It's crazy, right? When you, like the Olympics was a childhood dream for me. So you, you just take this pressure and you put it on simmer in a pressure cooker and for like 15, 20 years, right? And it just goes and goes and goes and it's a weight. And it's like, you can't do what, what you normally can do. Like uh, the Dutch actually did a study and they said, Olympic gold medal matches Whoever can perform 85% of their normal play, they win. Like that's, I, that's so random and that's like so like deep, but like I, I, I appreciate the thought that went into it. It's like, you don't have to play. You think you got to play your best match ever. Just give me like B plus, just give me like B match and you're going to win. Right. Cause, cause people freak out. Yeah. It, that, that, that's fascinating. And, and you know what it's like going through that. Um, Taylor Crabb, right? The Punahou alum, he, he has qualified along with uh, uh, Jake Gibb, who is ageless, I think. I, I, I don't even know how old Gibb is at this point. He's, he's got to be pushing almost 50. Uh, what are their chances? Uh, where do they kind of fit in the pecking order on the men's side? Uh, you know, you know what you're going to get with Jake. Taylor is the one who domestically is a rock star. He just, he walks with the attitude and the shoulders are back and there's a little, a little chill swag. Sometimes he has that in the international tour, not all the time. So it's going to really depend on like, do we get like, uh, you know, chill, confident Taylor, or do we get the Taylor that's like wide eyed and just like, Oh my gosh. I'm getting excited. That. I'm excited talking to you guys. Man. No, me too. And I love that so much of this kind of boils down to like, just can you handle the pressure? Like these are all the greatest athletes in the world at what they do. And so much of this boils down to like the spotlight, the conditions, like how do they handle that? 
Uh, one thing that I wanted to kind of ask you too, for your, from your perspective, Kevin, we, Kate Taylor Craft, Hawaii guy in there, and we, we, we've had some Hawaii guys. And then on the indoor side as well, you've got the three Hawaii guys making up about a, a quarter of the roster, basically with the Shoji brothers and, and Micah Christensen, the setter for the, for the national team. What is that like from a, from a Hawaii perspective, a guy growing up here to, to make the national teams and, and represent the United States. But, you know, I mean, we, we always kind of carry a chip on our shoulder being from, from the islands, but what, what's that experience like making it all the way to that level from, from some, from someplace like here? It's pretty, pretty crazy, right? It's pretty crazy. It just shows you how special Hawaii is. It, it shows you uh, how tough the cauldron is for people here. Like you think about it, like I, I just went up with some of my spike and serve teams and we've got 13 year olds. Our first tournament ever is in a convention center with like a thousand courts and like 10,000 people and bright lights. And it's, it's scary. Right. And then for a lot of the mainland teams, this is something they do every month, once a month, you know, every other month uh, we're further away, but we got to be tougher. We're smaller. Usually we, we got to be scrappier. I, I think, I think, I think all that kind of stuff, is what works in the Olympics, right? It's like, it's like the, the dig deep stuff. It's the toughness. It's like the, it's knowing who you are, right? And knowing who you're representing. Uh, there's an authenticity factor, I think, that Hawaiians have that, uh, that goes a long way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super proud at all, all of the Hawaii athletes. We, we are so far overrepresented, right? In terms of population and in terms of like high level athletes in every sport. Well, your club, you mentioned Spike and Serve, it is among the clubs that feed into this culture of volleyball here in the islands, and it has produced tremendous talent, yourself included. Uh, and I'm just wondering what the, the dynamic is now, what the blueprint is, is as far as what you lay out as an instructor, as a visionary, uh, because volleyball is multi-pronged, right? You have the indoor option. You have the beach option. There are scholarships available for both, particularly on the women's side. Uh, a lot of male players make the decision to, after their indoor collegiate careers like you did, endeavor into beach volleyball and the AVP tour. And I'm just wondering what the balance is uh, at, the, at the club level where you're trying to teach skills and you're trying to uh, cultivate just general volleyball talent, how the blueprint looks from your vantage point. You're giving me uh, too much credit. I, 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 sometimes there's a blueprint, you know, like there, it's like a pretty simple one. Like, oh man, all the schools and churches are closed. We need to get a warehouse space. <laughs> so, so like, the, I mean, and like, oh, we have two weeks. Let's go, let's go do it. So there's a part of that. I think part of it, and I think you guys would all agree with this is like surround yourselves with really good people and be humble and listen, you know, like I, I, uh, you know, like the broadcast side, I remember uh, getting a chance to go talk to Leahy and Leahy right before uh, <laughs> London. Right. And uh, like the, the one thing that your dad said that really stuck with me was uh, compare and contrast. It's like this and it's, different than that right and like I, I just found myself doing that so much so long wound wind about but like on the volleyball side talking to Chris McLaughlin as much as possible getting Rick Tune in there Jordan Inafuku you know people like Kim Kikuchi people who have been in the community for a long time Fred and Danielle Robbins mm. right like I, I think some clubs in the mainland are really like top down I swear I'm like the guy like 
emptying the trash cans and like scrubbing the floors and just trying to like, Hey, what do you need? Do you need anything? So that's not a blueprint. I don't know what that is, but it's not a blueprint. And that's, that's my, I mean, look at the name spike and serve, right? Like that's I'm, I'm the chief servant Kanoa. Well, you may have been dealing with literal blueprints with that warehouse space that you're talking about because I've followed it on Instagram and Man, that thing is cherry right now. You're putting like big screens on top of the walls. I mean, uh, this thing is no joke. Yeah, it's way beyond, uh, way beyond. And and I think one of my friends just said, hey, like, just say help. <laughs> People in Hawaii, when, when it's for kids and it's for their kids, uh, we just said help. And like one guy was like, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a plumber and I'm going to be here. And we had like issues mm-hmm. with that. And he was there like after work, like for weeks on end. Or, Warren Hinky, that's for you, man. I appreciate you. And then another guy's got like a, you know, they, they paint. And so someone donated paint and his people came and, you know, like, dude, like we had a hundred volunteers within, you know, like asking for two hours for like four days in a row. It, we got... We got the lease and two weeks later, the space was finished. Uh, and even and, and the, on the lease side, Kamehameha School stepped up big, right? Like they, we, we've got a five-year partnership with them where um, they see what we're doing and, uh, you know, they gave us a little, a little bit of a discount on uh, what the normal rate would be. And for that, uh, it, it'll let, let us work. It, it wouldn't have worked otherwise. Do you see any residual effect from, uh, say, the University of Hawaii winning the national championship in men's volleyball or what we see as far as the repeated annual contention uh, is certainly at least for conference championships on the women's side and sellout crowds. Do you see a residual effect as far as youth interest in this sport of volleyball? For sure. For sure. Like, uh, I think what's ASO in a lot of uh, states, you play, everyone plays soccer, I think it's turning into volleyball. Like, we started our junior program and it was 10 to 12-year-olds. And this same pattern happened where a mom would say, hey, my nine-year-old's super mature and she's been around volleyball forever. Or said, bring her. <laughs> hey, my eight-year-old, is uh, she's been out peppering in the back. And it's, no, we have four-year-olds in there now. Kevin, you know, what, what led you to, to this coaching path? You know, you've, you've built a nice little broadcast career, high-level player, but what kind of led you to, to building this club and, and these opportunities for these kids? Um, 2011, I knew that uh, I was going to be doing the broadcast for 2012. And, uh, and in 2011, we had one tournament at the World Championships where we did too well. Uh, I was supposed to be flying back after I lost in the tournament uh, to do the broadcast out of LA. And I ended up beating like the eventual gold medalist, uh, Phil and Todd. I ended up like getting all the way to the semifinals and they had to get someone else to do the broadcast. So um, NBC, my producer said, Hey, you can't do that. You can't play anymore. You got to choose. You got to choose to play or broadcast. And so I knew I was going to just do broadcasting. Um, And so I wanted to, to, pay it forward and give back. I've always had great coaches. So I started a program at Alawai Elementary School uh, for fourth graders who'd never played before. And uh, I learned how to coach and they learned how to play a little volleyball. Um, And then we had 
friends who had kids getting ready for tryouts. So then we did some clinics and then it, 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 there was never a grand master plan, man. It was, it was just like, just do the right thing, plant good seeds. Uh, All while elementary school, one of the coolest things for me, this is one of the coolest things is that I was doing these free clinics and Iolani ninth graders, eighth graders, 10th graders would be driving by and five different ones on different occasions said, Hey, do you mind if I come out and volunteer? So I, all of a sudden it was me and 20 kids at first. And then it was me and five Iolani students volunteering and 20 kids. And, and I felt a little bit like the Pied Piper. And I just said, <laughs> like, this is, this is the, this is a community. This is what I want to be a part of. Right. And, uh, you know, on a personal note, my wife and I had tried to start a family and that, that was a really, um, roller coaster ride and painful and uh you know so we i just wanted to be surrounded by kids and uh now i'm surrounded by kids and then at the end of the day i send them home back to their parents and uh you know get the best of both worlds it seems as though your life particularly as it pertains to volleyball um it just has unfolded very organically it doesn't sound like you applied any five-year plans or anything like that and is that is that just kind of how you are? Is that, is that sort of Kevin Wong personality wise? You just, you just kind of go with the flow and, and see where life takes you in some sense. You know, the, the most overused word this year is pivoting. And uh, so you, you probably know I, I was a basketball player at first, right? Like this That's whole right. volleyball thing mm-hmm. was my first pivot. It was my first pivot away from basketball. It changed my life. Uh, and I think that I'm pretty good at pivoting and seeing opportunity and, uh, not hitting my head against the wall over and over again. And, and like I said, picking good teams. I, 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 I've been so lucky to be surrounded by great people. Yeah, including the Wong, yourselves. Oh, well, the, 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 the feeling is mutual and, and I can attest to the uh, Wong brothers being uh, some badass hoopsters. Uh, that's for sure. Bef- before mm-hmm. the volleyball career, uh, you know was lit on fire. So uh, I definitely can attest to that. Kevin, we, uh, we appreciate the time, man. It, it, it's so great uh, talking with you. Um, it, it's, it gives us, I think, a sense of pride to kind of be connected to the Olympic game coverage in the way that we are just, you know, knowing you and, and following you. So uh, really, really thrilled that you're going to be a part of that uh, again and uh, safe travels. And I hope you don't burn up too much in the, uh, in the heat over there uh, in Japan at this time of year. Thanks for your time, you guys. Love you guys. Uh, anytime I can get back on. And uh, yeah, Jordan, just just keep on working on your game. It's going to get better, man. I promise. We're getting in reps. We're getting in reps. Uh, can, I, can I interest you like in a cloud, Kevin, in, in case, you know, just like a backup to that hard drive? Maybe it's like, I know the cloud is a little, a little iffy, right? You can get hacked. It, you can, you can, it's, it's conceptual, right? It, you can't really touch it, but you know, just in case, just as a backup to that hard drive I, that, that, that you hold so dear. That's, that's, my, that's my parting, you know, advice. I am so embarrassed. I've never thought of that. But, uh, yeah, going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, don't check <laughs> in the hard idea. drive. Carry the hard yeah. drive with you everywhere you go. Do not yeah. check it in. With Never check that thing in. Please do not. Yeah. All right, Kev. Take care, my man. Bye, you guys. Thanks, Kev. All right, big thanks once again to Kevin Wong. Uh, best of luck in his travels. Appreciate his time. All right, best of luck to him. Best and worst. For us, it is post-game time. And our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company, offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. 
Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, WastePro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services, information. Uh, our friends at WastePro Hawaii have been big supporters of this podcast, and so we continue to thank them for that support. But uh, let's get to our best and worst. You want to go first here? What's your best? Yeah, sure. Um, baseball related, uh, we just got confirmation that we're going to be Jumping back on the radio scene here on Maui, uh, me and my pops are going to be calling the uh, State Little League Tournament. We haven't done a live broadcast of local youth sports since February of last year here on Maui. And so we're going we're gonna to get a chance to do the, the State Little League Tournament, July 16th through the 20th. Uh, it'll be at Kalama Park in Kihei. Uh, kind of serve as like a nice little springboard, hopefully into a little more normal fall on the high school sports side. So yeah, uh, 1 and 4 p.m. It'll start Hawaii time uh, on Friday the 16th. The championship game will be 20th, uh, the 20th the following Tuesday. And we will have every single game of the tournament uh, for you on the radio. It'll be basically two games a day, Friday through Tuesday, uh, with an if necessary game there on Tuesday if we do get to that point. So that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. We know Hawaii Little Leaguers, right? The, the Central East Maui Little League team is once again the Maui District representative. They will have a buy-in to Saturday's second round. Uh, they were in Williamsport in 2019. We know what Honolulu, Honolulu Little League did just the year prior to that. So it's like whoever wins the Hawaii State Little League tournament has a good chance <laughs> of like making it to Williamsport. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely looking forward to that. My best is also baseball related. Uh, I go at the uh, higher level, though, Major League Baseball and Shohei Otani, who hit his 32nd home run for the Angels today. That breaks Hideki Matsui's single season Major League Baseball record for a Japanese born player. Uh, this is a guy who just won his fourth game as a starting pitcher the other day. Uh, he is doing historically incredible things. And not just because he's a hitter and a pitcher and it's like, oh, he's the first since Babe Ruth to do this kind of stuff. Like, no, the numbers he's putting up, ridiculous. He's on pace for triple-digit extra base hits, which is something that hasn't happened since the early 2000s. This is a guy who is able to throw 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. He's able to hit home runs with exit velos of up near like 115, 120 miles an hour. Uh, this guy's an absolute beast, and it is fun to watch. He might be, uh, alongside my Mets hurler, Jake DeGrom, uh, I think Shohei Otani might be the most exciting player to watch in baseball. Like, we weren't sure if this was going to happen, right? I mean, he plays alongside a guy that most people believe in Mike Trout, like the best player in baseball, one of the best ever. And here's Shohei Otani, who is completely stealing the spotlight and proving to maybe himself be one of the greatest talents that we've seen, certainly at least in a long time. Yeah, this, like he's doing stuff that we might see at the Little League State Tournament in a couple of weeks like he's doing that in major league baseball like the kid who's just better than everybody else he can pitch and he can throw harder than everybody else he strikes everybody he hits home runs because he's bigger like he's doing that to major league baseball players he's incredible absolutely yeah. incredible i hope they they keep winning a little bit more like he he and mike if mike trout gets back healthy obviously like those guys need to belong in the postseason like we need them to be playing in october and i hope that comes to fruition later yeah. in the year and what has happened for the majority of the season, didn't happen in his last outing, but uh, most of the times that it has been Shohei Otani on the mound, it has been Kurt Suzuki catching him. That's right. That's and so right, that's yeah. another great thing, the Maui boy who is still in the mix, man, still gleaning some of that spotlight off of one of the great talents in the game, Shohei Otani. All right, what is your worst? Yeah, my worst, uh, Olympic basketball qualifying kind of wrapped up the last four berths this past week in Canada. Canada failed the quality. They got R.J. Barrett, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Corey Joseph, Trey Lyles, 
Dwight Powell, Andrew Nichols, Andrew Wiggins, I should say. Like, they got a host of NBA players. And that's not even, like, all of the talent, right? There are some other Canadians out there that, that, that didn't quite make the team. They, they failed to qualify. They lost to Taylor. Tyler, he plays for the Bulls. I don't even know his first name. Sadoransky and the Czech Republic. Uh, that's how bad this was. Uh, but on a positive note, how, how about Iolani uh, alum Hugh Hoagland? He, he made the roster for the Japan Olympic team in basketball. That's amazing. Played at Portland for a while uh, under Terry Porter, uh, 6'10", can shoot it. Uh, you know, maybe might get, get to see the floor a little bit. Play with Rui Hachimura, Yuta Watanabe. Like, there's a Hugh Hoagland from Waimanalo. He's going to be playing basketball <laughs> in the Olympics. It's amazing. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. That's for sure. You know how we Raiders do it, Jordan, all right? We aspire <laughs> and achieve great things. Uh, especially in the sport of basketball. All right, uh, I'm going to also have a worst that is involved with hoops uh, and the NBA, interestingly enough. we got a hot mic situation that was much publicized here this week. Rachel Nichols, host of The Jump on ESPN, and a fixture, really, of ESPN's coverage uh, of the NBA over, what, the last decade at least, uh, was caught talking about fellow personality uh, for ESPN, Maria Taylor, and uh, really talking down about Maria Taylor's selection as the NBA Finals pregame host and correlated it to the fact that ESPN has such a crappy record on diversity. That was one of the reasons that ESPN was motivated to put Maria Taylor, who is a woman of color, on as the NBA Finals pregame host, even though Rachel Nichols was saying in this conversation, she didn't know she was being recorded. She had just done like a live hit from her hotel room. And I guess the feed wasn't completely shut down. A lot of people are questioning whether that was her fault or whether that was somebody back at Master Control that kept it on. Anyway, somebody got the recording and passed it around. And so it it finally came to fruition here this week. The timing of it is interesting because Maria Taylor's contract is actually up during these NBA finals. And she's fitting to make a pretty penny here, whether ESPN re-signs her or not. Uh, And so that kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit as far as the the timing of all of that. That said, though, Rachel Nichols obviously had to issue an on-air apology for these comments. Uh, Rachel Nichols has an incredible track record, and she's garnered a lot of support from co-hosts as well as players. Uh, But this didn't look good, and she had to issue an apology. And there are a lot of people that were putting heat on her and heat on ESPN to maybe do something more long-term as far as the repercussions and punishment. Uh, So it's a tough situation. Yeah, it is, right? It's, it's a pretty competitive cutthroat business um, just inherently, right? And Maria Taylor is great in what she does in, in college football, some sideline stuff for the NFL as well. Uh, just really all-around talented. And so it, it's, it's kind of tough, right? And, and Rachel Nichols, she said, carved it out with the jump, which has been very league-friendly in terms of a program. So, yeah, it's a uh, it, good lesson for everybody out there, right? You know, you, know, you got to watch what you say, even if you think nobody's listening. There's also this whole backdrop thing that hasn't really been mentioned much. Uh, the fact that Rachel Nichols said that about ESPN and that ESPN has had this, uh, what is viewed as a pretty atrocious record when it comes to diversity, not as far as on-air personalities per se, but certainly in their corporate and executive structure in the background. And so you wonder why that's not getting a little bit more of the heat and more of the focus and press. And it's just more about the soap opera between these uh, two female juggernauts on the air. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess, the, the uh, public appetite for some of this drama is also playing a role in how this story is being presented. All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Big thanks once again to 
Kevin Wong for joining us here on this show. We also want to thank Kenneth Tanoy, our intern slash producer, for helping us out. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. We'll do it again next time. Jordan, talk to you again soon. See you, man.